So this morning we're going to be back in Luke chapter 8. We'll be starting in verse 22. So Luke chapter 8, verse 22. And the first part of Luke, again, was very much, um, you, you could summarize as what Jesus said, you know, what Jesus' words were. And the second half of Luke here, we're looking really at what Jesus did, what Jesus is doing, his actions. And so in Luke chapter 8, verse 22, it begins with, Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. Now, he was there, he was teaching, he, he taught on the parable like we looked at last week, and he would teach from a boat. And so this, this wasn't a, a, a big deal, especially figuring most of his disciples fished on that lake, the Sea of Galilee there, and, and knew it well. And so this was not like an a, you know, a, a undertaking or an adventure that would have been um, anything uncommon. It would be like getting on and going for a car ride. And it says on that certain day, and we have the same account in, in Matthew, uh, or Mark chapter 5 looking at it, but he's there. And so they sail across, and they're, they're sailing to the east side from where they're at, but by the locations, and it's about five miles across. It's not a huge ocean, um, but there is storms that come up, and, and they can come up pretty rapidly. I don't know if you've ever been in a, in the, a desert situation, you get the wind storm and the rain in the desert. That's kind of the types of storm that hit the area. Um, and so it's interesting to see, and, and we, he just makes a simple statement in the scriptures, Jesus says, is, is let's cross over, let, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And verse 23 is in 23, it says, But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down upon the lake, and they were, er, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. So it's kind of interesting. Here Jesus has been serving, he's teaching, and here you see the very man of Jesus Christ. You, you know, as Luke kind of points out, the, the man Jesus Christ, even though he's, he's fully man and fully God, but we see the man here. Here you're traveling across the lake. Jesus isn't, you know, he's got capable men, you would say, far as working and operating a boat, and he falls asleep. It's, you know, I don't know... I'm not good on long car rides falling asleep in a car. I know some people, it just amazes me, you know, they're like sitting there in the traffic and everything or mountain roads and they're, and you turn a corner, like they're still asleep. I can't do that. I mean, I wish I could be more Christ-like in that part of my life, I guess. Sleep through some of these things. It just doesn't work for me. I, I don't control freak. If I do start to doze off, it's like I'm jumping because I'm thinking I'm getting in a car accident five, every five seconds. You know, it's just, it's not rest, that's for sure. But here Jesus is there and he's tired and he's asleep. And the storm comes up and it's interesting to see the reaction that the water's filling into the boat, you know, and, and they're in jeopardy and, and it's a serious storm. And, um, it's, it's amazing to see how Jesus is, is at the same time sleeping through this, but at the same time he's, a, he's resting. He's not, you know, like Superman and stuff. I mean, if, if you were to write the Gospels out, you wouldn't have had, oh, well, Jesus was sleeping. I mean, there, there's just things you wouldn't put in there. 
There's things you wouldn't have put in there about yourself, the writers themselves. They, would you put every time you got rebuked in the areas you felt? No. And that's where when you just read through the scriptures, it's so clear it's the word of God in this account. And so as he's there and he's asleep in verse 24, and it says they came to him and they woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. We're going to die. Oh no, we're going to die. And, and again, it's hard not to be, to, you know, you kind of want to be hard on the disciples and say, come on, you've got Jesus there. Don't you realize who's in the boat with you? And it's like, these were fishermen. They were experienced. They knew what they were doing, you know? And it, it, it's like, you know, we're perishing. This is, this is it. This is the end of it. And I, I, kind, of, I kind of chuckle. I mean, you, 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 you look at this, and it's easy to say, well, what would you have done in that situation? You know? I wonder if they realized, okay, Jesus is no good at selling, so we didn't wake him up. Why did they wait so long? Right? Why did they pause? Were they being self-sufficient? Or were they being, like, kind? You know, he really needs his rest, guys. We're just, we can handle this. Or, you know what I mean? Or was it like, you know, we, we're worried what he's going to do. You, you think that'd be the first answer, right? As the storm gets rough and say, hey, God, can you just help us out here? I mean, they're rowing, fighting in it, and they're going to figure it out. And maybe they just didn't think he was any good, you know. But at this point, they're, okay, we're perishing. Man, get up and bail, Jesus. Help us bail some of this water out. You're sleeping. I mean, that could have been some of the response, right? Not, oh, you're God, save us from this situation. We just need somebody else to help bell water. And you're asleep, so wake up. You know, and they use this term master, but it's not the term we, we use master. It's more like teacher. Teacher. And, and then it says, and, and, and continues on, and it says, and then he arose and he rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and, and they ceased. And it, there was a calm. And, and it's... It amazes me when you kind of look at this, and he rebukes it, but it's not like he, he just says, hey, be calm. It's actually a rebuke. It, it, almost, it, it infers that there was something evil or against God in this storm, that it was an attack. And when we see where, where he was going and the place he was going, it, it lines up with that very much so, and that it had an evil purpose, so he rebukes it. He puts it aside, and so here he's in the storm, it's attacked, but yet he's sleeping through it, and he's, you know, woken up. And then he turns to them, and he says to them, in verse 25, but where is your faith? Not if you have faith or if it's missing, but where is it? What is it in? Where is your faith? Where have you placed your faith? You know, and he didn't, I mean, you think of all the things he could have woke up and said, oh, guys, sorry, I fell asleep here. Oh, man, this is a rough storm. Let me take care of that. Sorry, I was asleep. I wasn't aware. No, it wasn't, you know, he wasn't aware. It wasn't unaware of what was going on, you know, but at the same time, he, it was allowed. He was teaching them something through it, right? And, and it's interesting to see, and, and he even let it go as far as, oh, I'm going to die and I'm going to perish, and, you know, he was, his concern wasn't the storm. He wasn't bothered by that. He'd go, wow, that was really, man, or Satan really came at us that time, or none of that. His concern was where their faith lied. That was the important thing of this whole situation. And it's, it's you know, it's one of those things that, you know, personally you can sit there and go, yeah, there's times where you say, oh, God, I'm perishing, I'm dying, where are you at? Are you asleep or something? In our own lives, and, and many times, you know, I think God allows it, 
he's working on our faith and he's preparing us. And, and I believe really this is a lot of preparation for what was to come on the other shore here. You know, they've been serving, they've been well accepted, and, and now they're going to run into some attacks they weren't quite expecting. You know, and, you know, it's interesting to see. I just, you know, they're sitting there, and then he, he corrects them. Where's your faith? What is it in? And I think many times we can get so busy with what's going on, and we, we get caught up in a storm, and it's not even a storm that... It's a storm we create. And I think a lot of you guys around the holidays can agree with that. How many people had Thanksgiving at their house? Did you create a storm? Next time we're having a storm at somebody else's house. I mean, right? We can get all distracted into the storm and the things going on. And, and then, ah, oh, this is horrible. You know, the, this isn't going to be cooked on the time of this or whatever the case is. And, and we can get ourselves all worked up and we can forget what's important in it and where we are and what's the value of it, you know? And, you know, one of those things very sobering, talking to the people who have gone up through the fire was what's a value? Man, I got out with my life. Nothing else, but I got my life, you know? I didn't break my leg going out a window. What an awesome thing, you know? And, and just to see those things, and we can get so focused on the world around us and the, and, and the storms and the, it's not where our focus should be. And, and when you find yourself, you know, panicking, generally it's because our focus has been on something it shouldn't be. You know, and, um, and so as we continue on, it says, And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands the wind and the water, and they obey him. Now, it's interesting because they just called him teacher, and very much in the account of Mark here, it's teacher and it's just rabbi. It isn't even a, a high authority rabbi. It'd be like your local teacher compared to saying the teacher of the nation or something, you know? They didn't give him a high title and, and he kind of stood up and corrected him, if you would, right? They call him, hey, teacher, you're sleeping here. We see Jesus the man and he stands up and goes, no, I'm God. I'm the creator because look, the creator obeys me. It does what? I say, because I am the creator. And, and it's amazing to see all these things, and you sit there, and it's easy to run through and you know, go through the scripture real quick here, but to slow down and to look at it and to, to see what they saw, this aspect. You have Jesus, fully man, worn out, tired, serving in flesh, but yet God of the universe right? That should freak you out a little. That would freak you out, you know? I, I love the account in Matthew because it says they were more scared of Jesus at this point than they were of the storm and dying. I, have you ever been scared of something more than when you're, you know, if you're, you ever get in a situation where you think, man, I'm going to die? I mean, that, that's a scary feeling. I mean, the, the gut feeling, you feel like you're going you know, to vomit or something like that. You know, there's, there's been times, don't tell Heidi, I've been on a roof or something and get in a situation where it's like, you know, your foot just caught the gutter, you know? And, and so you're just like, whew, I'm not going to fall two stories onto, ow, that would have hurt. I could have died, you know, that, that feeling. Like what's, what would scare you more than that, you know? And uh, to realize who God is, and, and then maybe making the mistake of calling him by the wrong name, you know? Oh, I just put you down here when I just realized you're here. You know, a healthy fear of who God is. And many times I think we can do that in our lives, not have a healthy fear of who God is. You know, you hear the fear of the Lord. 
Well, that's not the fear because he's evil or any of these things, but fear because he's a loving father. Fear because he's going to be faithful. Fear because we should obey him. You know, no child who is doing well fears his parent. But if you've just been in the cookie jar, your parent comes around the corner, you're guilty, you have fear. They're going to find out. Did I get all the chocolate chips off my face? I mean, you, you fear those things. And at the same time, could you imagine if they really realized the outcome of the story? I was, um, when we uh, worked at Armour Roofing, we took some guys out fishing in Monterey. For the first time going out, we are going out on a, a, you know, one of the little charter things. And um, some of these guys, one of these guys that was really cool because it was the first time he ever saw the ocean, ever. He's from Oklahoma, big old Indian guy, you know. Sam sitting Bull Martinez. And so we get out there and... Um, as we're going out, most of the guys, there's a couple guys hanging towards the back who ended up sick from the exhaust, by the way. The other guys, we're going out through some pretty big waves on the way out. And so we're going over them. We're all up at the front of the boat like little kids enjoying, woo, you know, and he's right on the front. He's on the bow of this thing, you know, and he's got his long ponytail and he's just, they're getting soaked going. I mean, the ride was funner than the fish, it seemed like. I mean, we just look like, a, yeah, you want to, we used to, growing up in the mountains, you know, you say, you know, when, See a car stop and they take pictures of all the donkeys or a squirrel or something. You'd be like, yeah, weekenders. That's what that, the, the captain of that ship was saying. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you inlanders, you know, you're land, you know, you landlocked kids or something. I mean, they had to be laughing. It's, it's in, get all these burly roofers out there. Yee-wee, you know. I wonder if they knew what was going to happen in the storm. Would you be going, woo, these were fun, you know, like a, like a ride at, um, you know, that's why uh, roller coasters are fine, right? Because you generally make it to the end alive. If not, it'd be terrifying, right? If you didn't know where that thing ended or if the track was left, I mean, it'd be a scary ride. It wouldn't be fun, you know? Like, hey, we got a new roller coaster. We just haven't finished it yet. You want to go on it? No, you know? And so it's interesting to see, and not to say in our lives, you know, there can be a joy. Some people might look at you crazy. You're going through stuff. And you're like, yeah, God's good. This is awesome. You've got your hands up in the waves. Woo! And people are going, you're nuts. No, I'm a believer. I know who Jesus is. He's going to take me through it. I have a joy and a peace. And maybe you're not you're going to go on woo-hoo, but you know, it's not that scary. You understand who God is. And it's interesting. So they go through this. They have this fear of who God is. And then right when they get on shore, something changes. Here, here their faith is tested and, and where their faith's in. And here they get on shore. And it says in verse 26, it says, Then they sailed to the country of the um, Gadar- or Gadardians. Man, I could pronounce that all the way up until now. And I had I, Gad. Gadarnius. Gadarnius. Anyways, I remembered that, and you know, I don't know. So you guys know, I took a long time to remember that word properly, and now I don't know it. Which is on the opposite side of the galley. Um, and it's interesting. So they sail over to this area, and when he stepped out of the, onto land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes. Nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. Right? There's your welcoming party. You got a crazy guy, but naked. I mean, 
It's interesting to see you. You get out, and, and so they immediately run into this guy who's possessed by demons. And, and this area is mainly a Gentile area, you know. And um, it, it, it's interesting to see. I mean, in our culture, you don't see it often. I mean, I was, I was um, you know, as you're preparing, it's kind of funny. Some of the stuff you run into, some of the things God, I don't know. I ran into a crazy guy yesterday driving. He's walking through the intersection, and he's naked. Well, it's Stockton, but I'm like, really? You don't see that often, but I'm teaching through this. No surprise. So anyways, yeah, watch where you drive on March Lane in Stockton. But, uh, you know, and you sit there, and you look at this guy, and this guy's demon-possessed. And, and, you know, it's kind of interesting. We, we're going to kind of look at a little about what is demon possession and those things. And, and it's kind of an interesting subject. I mean, some of you in here go, oh, demons, we really got to talk about demons. What does this have to do with much anyways? And other ones of you guys in here might be, woohoo, yeah, let's go get some demons or something, you know. But very much in our country, we're very based in, in we're science. We're an age of science and cell phones and devices. And we don't really consider the spiritual things of this world and, and even seeing some of these things. And here this guy's there. He's demon-possessed. Okay, And there are fallen angels. We call demons. And they're out to destroy the works of God. They are against the God. They are the enemies of God. They exist. You know, and, and many times I, I, I personally don't care to give them much credit or, or bother you know, to... Uh, we walking around and oh, is there demons? This and that, but it happens. You run into it. We've we here have had ran into people that have signs of what would be demon possession, you know. And it's not something that you know you go looking for or should go looking for. You didn't see Jesus come looking for a demon possessed person. That person found him, you know. And it's interesting to see it, but you have these demons and. We have an example, the only example I know of in Scripture, where there is an example of what a demon-possessed person looks like. And as we continue on, you'll, you'll see that. And, and many times you'll have some people go, they'll be casting out demons, and, and I love them, brothers and sisters, different churches and stuff. They get into casting out demons and, and, and these things and, and out of believers, and I, I disagree with it, even though I love them. I disagree with it. Many times... Uh, it's just people seeking after their flesh. And as a believer, you know, people living and following after their flesh. And, and as we look down, we're going to skip down to 29, kind of this description here. You're, you're going to see a description of more of what demon possession really looks like, right? In verse 29, it says, For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him. And he was kept under guard and bound in chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven out by the demon into the wilderness. Matthew or Mark chapter 5 says, uh, the, the man living in the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him. Not even with chains because he had often been bound and shackled with chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him. And the shackles broken into pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the area of the tombs, crying out, cutting himself with stones. 
That's a pretty intense description when you look at it. You, you see somebody who, who is not under his self-control, is not there. Something else is there. And, and as we go through, you'll see another person come out and talk in his place. We're not just talking a sinful desire or something has. We're having something that controls and takes over. You know, I don't, I don't know what was going on if the demon was able to give this guy super strength, but breaking off shackles and chains, right? And self-destructive. And it's not to say that the demon has something, demons have something personal against human beings or men or anything else. But they are against God, and we are made in the image of God, and they don't want to destroy it. You look at this man, they've taken him from what was a man and have changed him and been taking him towards the direction of a beast and trying to destroy it, cutting himself, living more like an animal. You know, and if anything, is, is using him to be a weapon against God. You know, and, and you look at it, and we look at Scripture... We know, you know, for somebody who comes to demon-possessed, maybe unintentionally, it seems like they're invited in. That that person has made a choice to invite them in. And if that's through some, whatever you want to call, mystical, evil arts, or whatever they're thinking they're playing with, trying to channel spirits or whatever, but it, it, believes, it appears in Scripture that we see when that happens, when somebody has that, they've invited the person in. And even when they're free of it, there still is a heart choice that has to be made because in the scriptures we see a man that was freed of demons but more returned. So there's a free will in there that allows some of this. But as a Christian, as a believer, I don't think you can be demon-possessed. I don't see it anywhere in scripture. When you realize that we were bought with the blood of Christ, that we are now the temple of God, I'm sorry, my God doesn't sublease to demons. It ain't happening. You look at Scripture in uh, uh, Chronicles 2.15. Having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them in it, in the cross. He's conquered it. He's conquered them. You know, and this man here, would you say, hey, if you... You're, right? Resist the devil and he'll flee from you? Do you think that applies to an unbeliever or a believer? This man doesn't seem, seem to be able to resist the devil and he's going to flee from him. Not in this state. You know, but John, 1 John uh, 4, 4 says, You are of God. Little children have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Little children, but we're little children, but yet God is greater who is in us. And so, I believe, yes, we, we, can deal, you know, we can deal with sin, we can be lustful, we can make those choices and have to deal with it, but I don't believe, we, as believers, we need to go around and have you know, the demon of this or the demon of that rebuked out of us. I think we need to stop sinning and change, be willing to, to let God deal with our heart, but I don't think there's something controlling us that we have no control over as a believer. And... When, when you look at Scripture and you look at these things and people go, well, you know, I, I, you know, there's so many Christian superstition type stuff out there. You know, and people go, but, but, you know, we went and we went to this thing and they were casting out and it looked like this and like that and we saw this and that and I don't have any problem. Well, how do you explain that? I could come up with some guesses, but I don't have to explain that. I'm fine with not explaining that. 
I'm fine with the Bible being the Bible and the Word of God being what it says it is, right? And my experience is not, not translating the Bible through what I experience and what I feel and how I think. I'm good with the way the Word of God is. And when you have Jesus Christ dwelling in you, he, light and darkness don't, don't take up the same spot. And so if we go back and look at verse 28, kind of backing up here and seeing what happened here. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and with a loud voice said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Now it's kind of interesting. I wanted to look at kind of that description first. But when Jesus got out of the boat, he already told them to leave him. That, that, that statement has happened before this. And so then, as Jesus is there, and Jesus says, come out of him, he falls down before him. And he cries out with a loud voice, you know, Jesus, Son of God, what do I have to do with you? You know, you're the Most High God, what, what do I have to do with you? Don't torment me. Which seems kind of ridiculous. Man, you've been tormenting this guy, and you guys want some kind of, this demon wants some kind of favor, don't torment me. What? You know? And this is, this is odd kind of to me in this sense, you know, look at verse 30, and Jesus answered and said to him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons have entered him. Now what's odd to me is in scripture, when you have demons who are against God and everything else, but yet acknowledge him or, or even cry out in a room, oh, you're, you're, you're Jesus, you're the Messiah, and he tells them to be quiet many times. And, and you know, th this is kind of interesting. In, in Matthew or Mark, it says he, he worshipped him and called him there. And I don't see a demon worshipping him. So is this the guy starting to worship him and then demons talking over? How, how do you figure out which one? You know, it says he and I, what do I have to do with you, right? Son of the Most High. Maybe he had some insight because the demon's in him, but he's talking. But later it says, you know, it says them. You know, what, what are you, you going to do with us? And, and he cast them, plural, out. So, I mean, uh, you know, I'm not... It seems like a lot of people and one person going on here when you got S, them, and I's, right? So I don't know how to make it, but it, it's odd to me. Dave, Dave Gusick goes, man, he goes, he sees it like a challenge when he looks at the scripture, okay? In, in, in the, the writings we have, why, why people kind of have these rituals for casting out demons is not because we have a blueprint in the Bible, it's because of some of these Jewish traditions they had and people that weren't in and did exorcisms and these things, right? And so there's, there's writings in Jewish writing that were not biblical writing that they had processes for. And, and one of the, the main thing they said you had to have to be able to cast out the demon was the demon's name. You had to have the name. And, and if you had the name, you had power over the demon, you know? And, and he goes, from that point of view... If Jesus approaches and they say, hey, Jesus, Son of God, of the Son of the Most High, the demon would say, hey, I got your name, right? And when Jesus asked their, their name, what, what's your name? What does he respond with? Legion. Did he give them their name? No. He gave them a description, and almost a challenging description, right? Oh, really? You want to know who? There's a lot of us. There's a legion with 6,000. Now, was there actually 6,000? Don't know. You know why we don't know? Because demons lie. What a thought. I mean, we, we're not sure, right? But it sh sure sounds like maybe this is, this is a, 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 you know, a fight possibly in that sense. And 
But at the same time, there really isn't a fight there. I mean, he tells them to go, and then they turn around there, and they're begging, hey, don't cast us, in verse 31. And they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. And the abyss, um, a dark, bottomless pit, as described in Revelation, the same word, you know, an abyss. And... and, um, it's interesting to see this, you know, as they're begging him. It's odd, odd for me. This is why this is odd for me. How can you have a created thing with the full understanding of who God is? Rebel. How, how do you know who God is, know the outcome, know you're powerless, and yet still rebel? I find this odd in Scripture when you look at it. It's like you would think if people came to the full understanding of who God was, it would be like a solution, right? If you realize God was loving and God is this and God is that, and he's the creator, how could you reject him? It doesn't make any sense. Why would you reject him? It baffles me. And, and in the same area, this is, I see as odd is also in Revelation, I think of when you have God's wrath getting poured out in judgment and people seeing who God is and they're going through this tribulation and still, from the ashes of this world, they're crying out against God. That's odd to me. It doesn't make any sense. But it happens and you see it. People that come into the knowledge of God and still don't want to have anything to do with them. It's like, what's there? It's so strange. And here you have these created beings who, who know who God is and all these things, and they know where the authority is, they know they're going to lose, and they're like, hey, give us a little more time running around free. You know, we don't want to go to the abyss yet. And in verse 32, it says, And now a herd of many swine were feeding there on the mountain, and so they begged him that they would permit them to go to enter them, and he permitted them. Then the demons went out, of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake and drowned. So he allows them to go into the swine, and what happens when they get in the swine? Exactly what they intend to do. Exactly what they want to do. What is what they want to do? They stole the pigs. That's what devil's about stealing, right? They stole, they killed, and destroyed. Satan wants to, he came to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. The pigs are no good after they go into the lake. They're done. And I, I, as I looked at several commentaries, I, I just have to share with you, they have these cheesy jokes about deviled ham. But I'm not going to share it, so. No, <laughs> you know, you, you look at these things, but that's what Satan's about. You see people who are in this situation who give themselves over to their lust. Give, that's, the, that's the direction. There's, no, there's nothing good in this. The guy's hurting him. It's all about destruction, destroying himself. They ran violently down a steep place and, and they drowned in a lake. You know, you can think, why did you want to go in the pigs if they're going to die two minutes later? That's what they're about. Total destruction. Doesn't make logical sense. It's just against God. It's contrary. Verse 34, and when those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at his feet, 
sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. You know, it's amazing to see when God comes into a life and changes it. And here, the man's in his right mind. He's sitting there, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. What, what a precious thing to go from, I mean, can you imagine the life this guy had? He was somebody before, and now you're in there. Matthew said, in Mark it says, he cried out day and night and tormented the town. He was a torment. You talk about growing up with a boogeyman. They had a boogeyman, a real boogeyman. You couldn't, they tried to chain him up. They tried to restrain him. You know, you, you look at these, you know, Marvel movies and all this stuff. This guy was breaking chains. You got the Hulk out there. I mean, it's freaky, right? As a, would you like to have grown up in that child, you know, that neighborhood as a kid? Yeah, there's a boogeyman. Where is he out? In the cemetery, you know, and he's living out there. And you don't want to go out there. I mean, talk about scary. But now he's there. He's recorded. He's totally restored in his right mind. And they were afraid. And, and the people in town were afraid. Why were they afraid? You know, when, you're, when you dabble and you're in witchcraft and those things, which many cultures and stuff were in, to evil things and spirits and channeling, I mean, we don't have that as common in our country. You know, I know there's certain areas. Go to New Orleans. There's all kinds of witchcraft stuff going on in the streets in different places in the country. Not as common, not as common in this country. And very much so, I, don't, I think we've sanitized it. I think Satan loves it sanitized. You know why I think we don't see and, and deal with a lot of this in our culture compared to others and, and especially third world countries and stuff? It's because if we saw somebody demon-possessed, what does that mean? There might be something to spirit. People might have spirits. There might be spirits, which means there might be eternity. Which, no, we're scientific. When you die, you're just gone. We came from monkeys. We don't want to think about anything spiritual. And if we ran into spiritual things, then maybe we would start to consider spiritual things. That would be bad. Satan's keeping us out of it. Just, you know, just be numb, be science. We, you know, everything, if you need anything, you need to know any truth, just go to your iPhone and it'll tell you. You don't need to learn history anymore. Just say, hey, Siri, no. It's kind of scary in that sense, right? But you look at it, and so here this man, as he's sitting there, in his right mind, the feet of Jesus and the people are afraid. Verse 36, and they also who had seen it told it by them that means he who had the demon possessed was healed. So they said, hey, this is what happened. This is what went on. And they say it. And now you have the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the whole area, the Gardenians, there we go, Gardenians, um, asked him to depart from there. To part from them. For they were seized with a great fear, and he got into the boat and returned. Now it's interesting, you know, when you, when you pray, there's different types of prayer, but when you talk to Jesus, it's praying, right? Okay? I don't know of any account where Jesus brought a whole area together, but this one. So this whole area, they get together and they pray, and what do they ask for? Jesus, please leave. That's the truth of it. It's crazy, ain't it? I mean, as you're a believer and you sit here and you know who this man is, and they're asking him to go. You know his reputation has got there. 
this guy from Galilee and suddenly he's here and we want him gone. We don't want to have anything to do with him. We're afraid this guy freaks us out. We were fine with the crazy guy up in the woods. We're, we're good with that. We're used to that. But this guy changing things up, that makes me feel uncomfortable. You know, and, and sometimes it, it challenges me because we can do that sometimes of, again, instead of going by my experiences and applying that to Scripture, but going by Scripture and applying that to the, my reality. Ask my sister, Sarah, who's here visiting from Texas, who serves at Gospel Angel. There are a lot of things that happen in that ministry in India and stuff that would make you guys very uncomfortable. Like water buffalo coming back alive that have been dead for days. And some of these things that come out because God's using it and declaring, making sure he's known to that area that he's God of this world, which is a whole village's livelihood, you know, and, and many stories like that. It would make us uncomfortable. I don't know. How many people in here, if you came in here and somebody had died, we got together and we prayed for them, they came back to life, would feel comfortable with that in here? No, you guys would be freaked out. I would be freaked out too. You know, and, and that's the thing is, you go, you sit here and go, well, you know, these people were used to what they're, they, we don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. You know, and I, I, that's, that's a pretty, I guess, extreme example, because most of the time it shows up in our lives where you're sitting there and you're praying your morning devotions, and God says, do this. Well, that's crazy. I'm supposed to go to work today. I shouldn't, you know, this and this. If I called my boss and said, you know, I need to take God today off because I think God wants me to go help over here or do this, you know. We started out with the, the first couple we had in our, in our home. Heidi started out with praying with God. Just use me however you want today. I know I, she had her whole list of things to do. She was asking God for help. And God just pressed on her heart, no, I shouldn't. Instead of this list, what do you want me to do today? And then somebody called and said, hey, can you, can you watch our kid for the day? We're, we're getting kicked out of the, the Hope Shelter because we're on drugs. <laughs> I need somebody to watch our kids so we can figure out where we're going. And so she called around to people down here in Manteca because we were in Lodi and she had a list of things to do to find somebody that could help with the baby while they got ready. And God said, didn't you just ask me whatever you want to do today? And for those who know us, you know where that ended, <laughs> you know, and still going. You know, how God opened that door in the ministry and no, it's not what we would have thought. Definitely out of our comfort zone. Now it doesn't seem to be out of our comfort zone. You know, we probably freak people out. This young couple we got in our house, the whole, th that's, it's like, just trying to be careful not to freak these kids out. You know, it's like, if they're coming in, why are these people taking us into their home? What are they doing? Trying to steal my kid? I mean, you think of all the things you could think of why somebody that you don't know who's a total stranger is going to bring you into their house. You know, how many people do they have cut up in their basement? Not many, but, you know, <laughs> we just, you know, and I joke around about that, so it doesn't help, you know. But you look at those things and you see it and hear they're afraid. They're afraid of change. They're afraid of what this God's going to do. And, and, and they don't want him. And it's really sad. It's mind-blowing. I just can't even wrap my mind around it. It's so strange. Here you have the God of all the unity, and you see it, and you see the power, and you see this guy fully restored. And we don't want to have anything to do with you. Verse 38, And now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him, Jesus, that he might stay and be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your house, own house and tell what great things God has done for you. 
And when he went his way, he proclaimed throughout the city, the whole city, what great things Jesus had done for him. Now, it's kind of interesting when you think of that, right? When, when you go through scripture and you talk about raising people up for ministry and stuff, you never see anybody come here. Right? What was this guy? This guy was a crazy nutcase, not even in his own clothes. And Jesus says, yes, you should be my disciples. You need 3.5 years of schooling. To, and, and, you know, you got to walk with me to be able to be used by me. No. He goes, I've done everything you need. I'm going to send you into the mission field. Now, that might make some of you guys uncomfortable in here. Because you know what? You don't think you're ready yet. And God wants to do something. You're like, well, Lord. You know how many times I've used the excuse? Yes, God, I will serve you in this area when I get educated in that, when I get a degree, when I do. Yeah, it doesn't work out well. You know? And here you see this myth. And he does. The amazing thing he does. He goes out. This whole, and where does he get sent? You know, I always hear, oh, you know, you're serving that area. Is, you, know, that, you know, we're serving here and everything, but it's really hard ground in and they name whatever city they're serving in. You know, there's just so much wealth, or there's so much poor people, or they, everybody has an excuse of why the ministry and the ground and, and, and what's going on is hard there. They just cut Jesus out, and this guy's told, after barely being saved, to go share what God's done. You want hard ground? That sounds like hard ground. I mean, literally, they, tell you, they got together. Not divided. Some said yes, some said no. No, we all agree Jesus should go. Okay, I'm going, but I'm going to leave this guy behind. I just, I get a kick out of that, you know. I, I just wait, you know, I'm waiting still, and maybe will be waiting forever for the, the uh, you know, uh, pastoral or mission training book that's all about this scripture right here. What you're going to do is you're going to get saved, and the second you get saved, I want you to go share what God did. But that's a challenge, too, when you look at this, where we like the one-day EE training, if you cannot commit to all those weeks here, we got it down to one day. They don't even do that for pastors. For pastors, it's a three-day launch thing. So there's a one-day thing. I'd encourage you guys to go to that. But even if you don't go to that, simply sharing what God's done in your life. I was here, and I'm here. And if you don't have, I was here, and I'm here, then maybe he hasn't done something in your life yet. Maybe you need to look at it and go, well, God, what am I missing? Do something. If you look the same the day you were before you were saved, then now if you, there isn't a testimony... Something's wrong. Something's off. Because God comes in and he creates something new every time. If you're willing. This guy was willing. You know, through all the demons and everything that was going on, God knew his heart. He was willing. He went out and he shared the gospel. You know what the cool thing about this is? The most amazing thing? We don't, we don't even know his name. Jesus asked him his name. Maybe he found out later when he was sitting down and talking what his actual name was. We only know him as, hey, he was the guy who was demon-possessed. I want to get to heaven. I'm like, I want to meet this guy. He's there. Were you the guy that was demon-possessed? Yeah, you know. Wish they didn't have to go into great detail. They could have at least left out the fact that I was running out without clothes. But look what God did. I mean, it's amazing. How many people you think when you meet this guy go, yeah, that's the guy who was demon-possessed. He's the one that shared Jesus with me. Right? You know, and you get a kick when you look at the rest of Scripture. I just love it. You know, when you get these people, well, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apostle, and they're taking sides. Could you imagine, I'm of the demon-possessed guy. I mean, who saved you? Yeah, that's my spiritual heritage was this guy. I mean, probably if you find it back. 
But you look at it, you know, and so as you look at the scriptures and you see these storms come up and you see, I mean, physical things, real things, tangible things, things that are scary. If you lost your house in a fire, those are scary, freaky out, tangible things that could die things. Or you see somebody who doesn't even have control of his own mind. I love my wife, but many times the kids are driving me crazy. I can't even think for myself. I don't know, you guys ever get to that point where so much is going on where you can't even think? It's not even a storm on a boat or you're not driving in a car, but you are losing sleep by everything going on. That there's so much stress in your life, you just have no rest, no peace. Guess what? Our God take care of that. If you don't know Jesus and you don't have a relationship and you're there, God's solution for that. Or if you're his disciple and you're freaking out, Remember there. Now, if I was a, a um, I don't want to say real preacher, but a preacher, I could have sit here and, you know, the first thing I guess, you know, the main point is Jesus in your boat. All right? And I yell out about five times, Jesus in your boat. Get Jesus in your boat. And then after that, I could switch to Jesus is in your boat. <laughs> now, what are you going to do about it? Who are you believing in? You know? And then, if we stole from Mark, we'd say, peace be still, you know? And you're walking. No matter what storm's going on, no matter what's going on this holiday, peace be still. But also, be where Jesus is. Be where he's at. You know, there's 12 disciples. The boat, there's more disciples. How many disciples didn't go with him? And then what's amazing is, you sit there and you look at all the things going on on the other shore. God, knowing what was coming, got rejected by all these people. But what did he do? Is there anybody God can't reach? Nope. Is there anybody willing God isn't willing to go reach? No. He went across the whole lake and one guy, one guy, one guy, everybody else was the one guy that his only hope was Jesus. He came after. I love that. That's such an amazing thing. That's who our God is. You know, and not, not to say you need to go running out and hunting for demon-possessed people, but if you run into one, you're welcome. Talk to them. We've invited a couple into the church. We'll see them hanging out because of the mission here. We've invited them in, you know. A little scary. Sometimes they just come in and hang out all service. <laughs> that was three weeks ago. No. <laughs> God is good, but praise God, he brings them in, right? Are we worried? No. You know, I'm not scared of something. Again, I'm not going to run around and go, okay, i got to figure out how to be prepared to deal with a demon-possessed person. No, you want to be saved? You want to have a relationship? God, what do you want to do in this person's life? If they want to be freed, give me the words to say. He's totally sufficient. Jesus didn't, you didn't, do you see Jesus, you know, coming up with some kind of hocus-pocus, the name and the demons and having to name them all or any? No, just get out, be done. God's the one who frees us and frees us from all kinds of things. And if he can take this guy from all the stuff going on in his life and everything that's enslaved him, he can take you out of anything that's enslaving you in your life. You know, I think sometimes we use that excuse of, you know, oh, well, it's just the thorn in my flesh. God's allowed this here, so. No. Be consistent. Ask him. Beg. And then maybe check your heart. Maybe you don't want it gone. Dear God, heal me of this, but I don't want to be healed. <laughs> well, maybe later, tomorrow. 
God, I want to be done with this sin in my life, but can we do it next week? Because I just want to sin a little while longer. No, I don't, I don't know what that's like. I've never done that. But, <laughs> you know, just deal with it. So I love the scripture. I love who Jesus is. And where is he at? Perspective on things. There is nothing in this world that's going to take us out. If you lost every earthly possession you had tomorrow, so what? It's stuff. It's all going to burn anyways. Did you know that? It's all gone. You know? It's all going to disappear. So let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are and how amazing you are. God, we thank you that you just love this man so much. That we can know you love us so much. And how much you loved your disciples, Father, not to spare them from the storms in their life, but to be there, right there with them through it. I just pray, God, for any of us who feel like we're just in the middle of a storm, where we're fearful of what's going on, that we would just take a minute and just remember who you are, that we'd be able to have a peace in the storm, a rest in the storm, that we just keep our eyes focused on you and who you are. That you are the God of heaven and earth and all creation. And that you are over and above every demonic and principality, Father, that there is nothing that even compares to you and who you are. That when your light comes into this world, the darkness flees. We thank you so much for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.